This is week two of this, uh, this, this series we're calling BRICS, which stands for Building Relationships in Christ. And this whole month, we're trying to get our arms around two questions. The first one goes like this, God, what is it that you, you're doing or you want to do in this place we call Flatirons? And maybe you want to do more of using this place called Flatirons. And then the other question is, hey, God, what do you want to do in me? So what do you want to do in us, but what do you want to do in me? Especially, and this is what we're talking to uh, from like Christmas or like from Labor Day all the way to Christmas is, especially in the area of my faith. Because Jesus kept on hammering this question over and over. No matter what he taught, he'd always follow it with, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Especially in those scary areas of your life. And last week, if you weren't here, and you can get online and, and watch it if you want, but we looked at the story of this guy named Peter who was out in this boat in the middle of a storm, and Jesus came out there, and, and Peter heard Jesus tell him, get out of the boat and walk on water. And Peter did. And so the application last week was, what would my personal life look like, let alone my church life, but I'm just talking about, what would my personal life look like if I was willing to get out of the boat and trust God, who claims to make impossible things possible? And going back to question number one, what would getting out of the boat, not just in my personal life, look like, but as I partnered with other people here in this place called Flatirons? And this brick series, it lasts five weeks, but it's really part of a much bigger series that, from, again, from Labor Day all the way through Christmas, where we work through this, um, this very first talk that Jesus gave, the first time he ever stood in front of people and said, um, this is what it looks like to believe in me. This is what it looks like if you really trust in me. This is what life would look like. This is a better way to live your life. And last week, this is, we, we watched Jesus kind of expose this religious concept of love your neighbor which we all think that's a great idea, but by the time Jesus showed, around, showed up, love your neighbor had kind of turned into love people that you like. Love lovable people. Love easy to love people, pretty people, nice people that are going to love you back. And hate your enemy. Ignore people that are just kind of messy. And Jesus comes along and says, that, that's not what God had in mind when he said, you know, love your neighbor. He says, um, let me tell you, this is what it looks like if you follow me, if you love me, if you trust me. I want you to love everybody, even the messy ones, especially the messy ones the people that are hurting in their life, the people looking for answers, the ones who have been kind of burned by empty religion and empty religious people. And so where we left off last week was, were these words from Jesus. He looks at us and to his followers and says, I want you to be perfect. <laughs> or literally translated, I want you to do the perfect thing. Do what needs to be done in a given situation. Especially to make room for, to embrace messy people, unconnected people, so that they can bump into Jesus and get reconnected to God. Kind of like what a lot of us have experienced in this place. So Jesus, we left off last week with Jesus going, be perfect. I, I, I ran into a, a much better picture, in my mind anyway, of what perfect looks like. Let me, let me explain it. This past Monday, a friend of mine who goes to church here invited me and some of the guys on staff to go down to Bandamir Speedway and race shift carts, which are like go-karts on steroids. It's amazing, all right? They're not like, when I was a kid, a go-kart was like, you got an old lawnmower engine or something like that, and down the alley or something like that. These are crazy, crazy things. And, and so anyway, there's a racetrack out there. And so with the first couple laps, you just get in there and you're, you're driving like a, like a you know, 10-year-old girl. You're like, I don't know. You know, it's a, sorry, 10-year-old girls. But anyway, and, and, you're, and you're really careful and all that kind of stuff going around the track. But the more you get used to it and kind of figure out where the curves are and all that kind of stuff, and you warm your tires up a little bit and they start sticking to the pavement, you go faster and faster and faster until finally you are just flying out of control. And there's this, there's this one turn, though, if you've ever driven down there, there's this one turn that everybody was just wiping out on. I went backwards through a, a wall of hay bales, like, oh, you know, and I was just praying, Jesus help, you know, but anyway, um, I mean, it was, it, was, it was just crazy, but after a few wrecks and everything, um, about the third time we went out on the track, Pete, the guy who invited us, he, he says, okay, there's a, there's a trick to this thing, 
And he pointed to the kind of the, the, the really scary curve, and he pointed to a line that you could see. You could actually see the line in the pavement. He says, you got, that's the perfect line. That perfect line. That's what we're talking about in church. You know? And he said this, if, if we would stick to that perfect line, put your tires right on that line as you go around that corner and mash the gas down, all right, and lean out instead of in, which is so counterintuitive to everything I wanted to do. He says, and no matter what, no matter how much you want to do this, do not hit the brake. You'll make it. And I'm like, all right, I'll try this, all right. So, so I tried it, and I wiped out. Because halfway through, I went, I got a break, break. And then I went right back through the, through the gravel and, and dust. And then the second time, I tried it again. Finally, I just said, you know, heck with this. If I die, I die. I've got great life insurance. Here we go, all right? So I, I, I see the corner coming. I, I just mash the gas down as far as I can as go. I, I lean out, you know, and, and the tires are screaming, and, and the, the engine's roaring, and the sphincter's puckering. And anyway, you know, and I'm like, I'm just keeping it real, all right? And, then, and I'm going through this curve going, oh, 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 oh. And I made it. I, I went through the curve perfectly. Now, that, here's why I tell you that, all right? First of all, so you'd be very impressed because I had the best time of the whole staff. But anyway, the other reason is that's a picture, or Jesus would use the word parable, of this thing called faith. This is what faith looks like. This is how Jesus wants us to live our lives, right on the edge, with our tires right on that perfect line. And you're, you're wondering if it's going to hold or not, but it holds together. That's how I want to live my life. See, you can live your life playing it safe, and you'll make the curve. You just won't win. And you won't be satisfied at the end of the race. Like, was that the best? I don't know, but it was safe. But if you push it too far, you'll spin out and go through the hay bales. But I, I want to live my life right on that perfect line. Jesus says, well, that's what it looks like if you follow me, individually and as a church. So flat irons, buckle up, pucker up, and hold on tight, because here we go. And it, here's what I mean by that is we have some things that we really value around here. Things like this. Um, we believe that God's word, the Bible just shows us a better way to live our life. And no matter how many mistakes you've made in your past or you might make in the future, you can be reconnected to God through what Jesus did. He teaches both grace and truth. We believe around here that living together in a Me Too community is just a better way to live your life. And we believe that if all of us would kind of link arms together, we call it community, but pool our, our gifts and our talents and abilities, if we all kind of said, let's do this together, we could build an excellent, safe place to invite our friends, people we really care about, to come and see for themselves. Not to shove anything down their throats, but just consider what Jesus described as a better way to live your life. And because we believe all those things are very, very important, we believe the time has come to do the perfect thing. By definition, the right thing that needs to be done for this time. The thing that will ensure that everybody else has an opportunity to bump into Jesus and hear that a better life is still possible. See, because of our beliefs and our convictions, the time has come for Flatirons to build a new building, which we knew would happen. I mean, we've known about this for years, but it's been accelerated by two factors. The first one, it's, it's just, it's just, it just is, we have to move out. We're being kicked out. Um, and by that I mean we're approaching the end of our, our lease extension on this space. Now, I'm not throwing stones at the city of Lafayette. They have been so good to us. They've been so good to us. They've extended our lease over and over and over. But in 2011, the city of Lafayette and Boulder County have made it clear that no more, in, the whole, in this whole in part of the county anyway, uh, sales taxable retail space. That's how cities make their money. But we're, we're non-taxable, so... No more taxable retail space will be available for us um, to rent out in the future. But because the city of Lafayette really values us, and we were actually looking at land somewhere else, they came to us and invited us to consider a really great deal on 24 acres within the city limits, located at the end of South Boulder, turn left, and to the corner of Emma and 120th for constructing our new building. So we bought it. 
We bought those uh, several years ago, and it's scheduled to be paid off by this summer when the first shovel goes in the ground as we start building that building. So the reason number one that we have is that we have to move. So we're building a building because we have to move, and we can't lease. We even looked at Walmart. It just it was cost prohibitive about all the renovations and the, the parking structure that we had to build. So we have to move. It's not really exciting. It just is. Reason number two, though, is much more compelling because this is not about buildings or land or leases. It's all about people. Well, I'm Justin. I'm 25. I've been going to Flatirons for about a year now. You know, growing up, really didn't dig the church thing, never really felt like I was connected with it. So I just kind of pushed it aside, and a friend at work said, hey, you got to check out this place called Flatirons. And something sparked in my mind. I was like, you know, I think my family goes there. I've heard about it. And he's like, yeah, you should come sometime. I'm like, yeah, nah, I don't think so. And he says, one time. And I said, deal. I'll come one time. Please don't ask me to come again. And he says, you know what? The worst that can happen, you get a free bagel, free coffee. It's awesome. And he says, and by the way, they got this crazy wall of this tattoo wall of people that has their tattoos from church. And I'm like, they have a tattoo wall there? That sounds pretty rad. I'll come this one Sunday. So I come, and the first thing I do is I go check out the wall arm of tattoos. And I'm like, that tattoo wall is pretty sweet. I'd probably even have that in my room. That's how cool it is. So I walk in, get to see all these awesome things, and we take our seats. Of course, we get like these super sweet like front row style seats, like concert style. I'm all excited for it. And the music starts playing. And I don't know, but I remember growing up and the music was more like, our God is an awesome God. He reigns. And I'm like, this music is not, I don't know what's going on with it, but I'm just not digging it. And I'm hearing stuff that's like, totally rocking up there and I'm starting to relate automatically you know the music's catching me and I'm sitting there I'm listening to Jim speak and also I'm just starting to feel my heart transform I don't really know what else to say but my heart was doing something that I've never felt before and I had to come back so I continue to come back I'm really excited the message is actually relevant the music is unbelievable and it's a me too kind of community I finally figured out that me too means everybody here is going somewhere. Either they're still on a journey, they're done with their journey, whatever that looks like, it's a me too place and that's just so comforting. It's funny to think about where I was a year ago, basically being disconnected from God, to absolutely being on fire for Him and His Son Jesus, and just having your heart burn for Him every day, all because I have a purpose in my life and I know that He's got a big plan for my life, and it all started here at Flatirons. It all started from the moment I walked in and the door readers greeting me with a smile to the band up on the stage, to the message being said. It's a place that I could fit in. It's a place that I could find God and find out what having a relationship is with Him. And it's a place where my heart started turning that first time and I'm hearing God say, hey, I've missed you, I've waited for you. And this is what I had in mind when I said, let there be church. It's just been so phenomenal, this whole journey. And I'm so grateful that a place like Flatirons exists because without it, I would never have gone to church and here, I just fit right in this Me Too community. Just like they say, come and see and watch what happens. Doesn't he have great teeth? Those are the most amazing teeth in the world. My dentist is over here. He loves them that good. Anyway, he's single, ladies. He's 25. He'll be at Merge tomorrow night. All right, so, 
So, you know, the first thing is we have to move. The second reason uh, is because of people like Justin, because of people that we really care about. And reason number two is we're out of room. We're just out of room. Now, here's what I mean by that. Over the past couple of years, the average church in America decreased in attendance by around 10%. So most churches in America went down at least a tenth in size. One study announced that most people between the ages of 19 and 34 are not just quitting church. They've already quit. Yet the average age of flat irons, this makes me feel so old, is just, just under 31. Ah, I could be their dad. But anyway, listen, last year, though, Flatirons did not decrease the normal. You know, we say that we're not normal. Flatirons did not decrease the normal typical 10%. Last year, we grew 57%. And we're currently growing at a rate of another 40%, which is awesome. In real numbers, though, I got a lot of time here, so just hang on to that, all right? We've grown by between three and 4,000 people in the last 18 months. One in three of us didn't go to this church 18 months ago. We either went someplace else or not at all. Because of that growth, we've added an additional service each of the last two years, bringing our total services on the weekend to six. Four of those services are 80 to over 100% capacity. And last week, Merge, our Sunday night college age service, hit a new record attendance, you can clap in a minute, of over 1,200 people in here on Sunday night, mostly students from area schools and universities. One more, and then you can clap, all right? The best number is that in the last year, 15 months, we've seen over 900 people baptized which Jesus called a marker that says, you're reconnecting with me and and your life is changing. Now you can clap, all right? Isn't that awesome? See, here's the thing, all right? Um, And that's all God. He gets all the credit for that. You know, some churches build buildings hoping to get something going. Maybe that'll help us grow or, you know, get attendance up. We have to build because because we're growing, But because of those increasing numbers, let's be honest, it's getting really hard to come to church here. Meaning this is that we're we're approaching fire code limits in several of our services. We've leased out every available parking lot within walking distance, but every lot is maxed out, at least on some of the hours. But here's the thing is you guys can handle that. You understand crowded buildings and, 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 and busy parking lots, and you understand that. My biggest concern is the traffic jam that happens in our children's area. One out of every five people, there's over 7,000 of us here on the weekend, one out of every five are fifth grade and younger. And we passed overcrowded in some of our rooms long ago. And some of our peak hours, especially tomorrow morning, we have to tell parents. Some of these parents, this is their one shot to get their husband or their wife to come here. It's been the first time in a long time or ever. We have to look at them and say, we're really glad you're here, but we can't take care of your children. Not because we don't want to, it's just not safe in there. We have one shot. We have one shot. When you invite your friend or your mom or your daughter or your cousin or your friend at work, and we have one shot at making them feel welcome. And we can't look at them and say, sorry, you can't come in. We won't do that. We cannot do that. And we can't wait another three or four years hoping the economy will get better to build something else. The time is now. So in order to accommodate not just what we have, but years of future growth, we have to build. And this is what it looks like. The new property is located at the corner of 120th Avenue and Emma Street here in Lafayette, about one and a half miles to the northeast of our current facility. The building will be set on 24 landscaped acres and will allow us to have nearly 1,200 parking spots. As you approach the building, which will total around 160,000 square feet, the feel will be very much like driving up to a Lowe's or a Home Depot. 
The primary building material will be what's called tilt-up concrete, one of the most cost-efficient ways to build structures of this size. As you enter the building from either the east or west side, you will enter into a 33,000 square foot lobby. The doors on either end of the lobby are garage doors, which will allow us to have a very cool open air feel and good weather. You'll probably try to look for signs for where the hardware or lumber sections are located, but instead, you'll find counters that offer coffee, bagels, cookies, or information for all the activities and ministries that are available at Flatirons. Plenty of seating for meeting up with friends before or after church all through the week will be available both in the lobby and in the patio areas just outside the open doors. And I'll throw this in since I've already been asked a lot. Ladies, there will be plenty of restrooms. Adjacent to the lobby will be smaller meeting rooms as well as plenty of storage and gathering rooms for all of the hundreds of volunteers that make this place happen whenever the doors are open. All of the doors on one side of the lobby lead directly into our main auditorium. The auditorium will be made up of both flat and sloped floors, allowing us to seat over 3,500 people in each service. One entire section will be used as our baby skybox or cry room to allow parents of our newest arrivals to participate in the service in an environment designed just for them. On the stage, you will be able to view the service on two screens, and the chairs on the main floor are all removable so we can bring in the big pools for our baptism weekends. But we want to make sure that we're not just building for ourselves. We want to reach out and partner with local schools and organizations and make this room available for things like graduations, concerts, or seminars. If we really are a community church, then we want to be a part of the community. On the other side of the lobby, next to a large fireplace, you'll find an entrance to our 8,000-square-foot multipurpose room, which will house our student ministries, both middle school and high school, our singles ministry, shift on Friday nights, and different special events and workshops throughout the year. We're moving the sound and video systems that we currently are using into this room, so the quality will be awesome. The room can comfortably hold up to 600 people and is served by a kitchen that opens also onto the lobby side. On the western side of the room, three large garage doors open up onto a mountain view patio area for meeting, cookouts, or just enjoying the fresh air and awesome views. Almost one-third of the building is dedicated to our children's ministry and nursery. This church has lots of children, and we're investing heavily into providing the best and safest areas for our kids. The children's area will be split into two categories, each containing age-level suites of smaller classrooms which empty into larger theaters for worship and large group teaching. On the first floor, parents will find spacious nurseries that are easily accessible from the main auditorium. And, of course, by using ramps and elevators, all children's areas will be friendly and accessible for anyone who might have a special need. From a safety aspect, along with a state-of-the-art computerized check-in system, the entire children's area can go into lockdown mode if necessary to protect our kids should danger ever threaten. Like I said, we're going to build the most excellent space we can to bring our friends to come and see for themselves and bump into Jesus. But excellence doesn't mean flashy or polished or churchy. The last thing we'd ever want is to make someone feel intimidated by this space or feel like they need to get cleaned up or dressed up to be here. The floors are concrete, so spilling's no big deal. The walls are concrete and steel, so you don't need to whisper. But more than anything, we want this place to be all about me too. Just come as you are. Everybody's welcome here. All right. So... This is the first night anybody's ever seen that before. Um, on your way out, though, uh, this whole month on the lobby stage, we put up some drawings and some different prints so you can kind of take a closer look, and there's some people out there that can answer a lot of your questions. There's also some samples of different chairs that we're considering for that room, so if you want to sit in them, you can vote on which chair, so you can have an input on that. Next weekend, everybody's going to walk out of here with a DVD to take home with you to review and think about and answer some more of your questions. 
So before we get into a couple more questions, let me review something we've already, some questions we've already covered. Now, now, why are we doing this? Besides the fact that we have to move, Jesus told us to. He told us to create opportunities and build relationships with people that he cares about, especially lost, broken, searching, messy, desperate, rejected people, people like us. And we've covered what? what? Now, what are we building? We're building a place that screams, me too, a safe place for misfit toys to bump into Jesus and consider what he calls a better way to live, a place that doesn't shoot its wounded or throw stones as people work out their stuff with God. So then the next logical question is, how? How are we going to build that? How are we going to build a 160,000 square foot building in what's being called the worst economic time in the history of our country since the Great Depression? That's encouraging, huh? The answer is simple. I didn't say easy, simple. And by simple, I don't mean flippant. I'm not making light of the stock market that a lot of us were really counting on or the economy that is really hurting. I mean, some of what a lot of us were counting on to take care of us here in a few years is gone or it's just less than not making light of that. When I say simple, I mean this. We're going to accomplish this in the same way every other impossible task was accomplished in the Bible. By faith. By faith. Remember, this is about faith. This can never be about money and buildings and how much it's going to cost. It's about faith. See, every time Jesus told anybody to do something, he always followed it with, now do you trust me? I mean, think back to last week. Jesus is out there walking on water, and Peter wants to walk out there with Jesus, but people like us just don't walk on water. So he asked Jesus, hey, Lord, if it's you, if you're in this, if you're telling me to do this, if all of this is your idea, tell me what to do. I'll do it, even though everybody else in the boat says I shouldn't. Tell me what to do. And Jesus said, um, come. And Peter walked on water. He said, yeah, but he stumbled. Yeah, he stumbled, but it was the greatest moment of his life. His faith went from here to here just by getting out of the boat and walking. And if we believe that the reason that this church is growing, and I believe with all my heart the reason this church is growing is because God is in this place. And he's not only just giving us a shot to walk on water, but the reason he's giving us a shot is because he believes that we will take good care of the people he sends here. God trusts us. He does. And if we believe that, if we trust him, and that he's behind all this, Jesus says that's faith. So when we say, is it you? His answer is, yeah, it is. Come, get out of the boat and walk. But remember, Jesus always followed up the, do you trust me? Do you believe in me? With, because this is what it would look like if you did. The Bible says that over and over. Do you believe? Well, then this is what it would look like. Look at, look how James talks about faith. James is the half-brother of Jesus. He wrote this down about faith. He says, Suppose, okay, a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, okay? So you bump into somebody, you find out that there's somebody out there, they don't have enough to eat and they don't have enough clothes, all right? If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, which is a good thing to say, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is, what's the word? Dead. Dead. Faith that sees a need, oh, I see, there is a big need over there, and I acknowledge that there's a need. Or uh, faith that says, you know what, that, that's a need. Somebody ought to take care of that, and I hope somebody takes care of that. But does nothing to address that need? The Bible, God calls that dead faith. Or some might just say, that's no faith at all. Or what many of us have experienced in the religious world as, yeah, there's a need, and that's too bad, but it's really not my problem. And I can't really help, you know, and, and I, or I won't help, so good luck. But we don't say that in church world, so we say it like this. I'll be praying for you, right? 
See, nothing wrong with hoping and wishing and praying or having faith, but unless it leads to action, God says that's just religious nonsense. Jesus says if you have faith, if you trust me, there's always a, there's a do that goes with it. Well, what is it? What, what's the do for this? Well, again, it's simple. It's not easy. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be very simple. If you have faith, then we have to give. Give what? Here it is. I'm going to write this down. Money. By faith, we're going to give money. And some of us are going, oh, what? This building is going to cost money? Yes. Welcome to reality, okay? You thought I was going to say, give prayer. No. no. I mean, I think we ought to pray about this, all right? But not if we're going to get involved in this or give to it, but how does God want us to give? See, a lot of us think it's either, it's either faith or prayer or money. No, and it's all of the above. And if that makes you uncomfortable, talking about money in church, we talk about money a lot less than Jesus talked about money. But think about it. Let's say on your way home tonight, you know, you have to stop at the gas station and fill your tank up with gas, and you, get it, you fill it up, and you go up to the window, and they say, that'll be $75. And you say back to the guy on the other side of the glass, how about I just pray for you instead of give you any money? Someone's calling the cops, Right? I mean, if you're paying bills this week and on your little visa bill, you write, hey, instead of a check this month, I'm going to be sending some prayer your way. <laughs> and I'm just going to pray and believe by faith that my balance is going to magically go down. Again, someone's going to knock on your door, usually an officer with a badge saying, get in the back of the car, right? Your car, this, this makes sense. Your car runs on gas. Gas costs money. Your body needs food and clothing, and food and clothes cost money. We're building a building, and buildings cost money. Some of you are doing the math going, this is all about money, isn't it? You're trying to manipulate money out of us. No, this has nothing to do with money. This is about faith. This is about faith. But faith always leads to a do. Jesus looked at Peter and said, do you believe? I believe. Then get out of the boat and walk. Get out of the boat and walk. And Peter had to make a decision whether or not to get out of the boat and do something. Now, Jesus made it possible, but Peter had to do something in response to, in proportion to the faith that he believed Jesus would take care of him or not. You know what Peter didn't do? I think this is the way we'd be much more comfortable if the story went this way. Jesus is walking on the water, and Peter says, if it's you, you know, let me know. And, and Jesus went, it's me. And then Peter looked back and went, okay, I got the point. I got the point, Jesus. This is a great teaching. What you're saying, all right, is that theoretically, if I trust you, and then I can symbolically walk on water in every hypothetical storm that I might find myself in. Is that it? That's a great teaching, Jesus. I will keep that in mind if ever a storm hits my life. Now, walk over here and get in this boat, you crazy messiah, and let's row to shore. Here we go, all right? That's an easier story. Hypothetically, you know, you know theoretically, symbolically, no. No, Peter said, I, I believe it's you. And Jesus said, then climb over the edge of the boat and walk. Get out of the boat and walk. And if we believe by faith that God's doing something in this place, and here's the key phrase, and we want to be a part of what God's doing, we got to get out of the boat and walk, which in construction world means give our money. Give our money. How much? Well, given co construction cost estimates and with our commitment to build the most highly functional, cost-efficient, no-frills, warehouse-style building while accommodating city, county, and state building requirements, a 160,000-square-foot building with 1,200 parking spaces comes right in at $33 million. And even if I tell you that that's $100 per square foot less than most comparable buildings, it's still a lot of money. That's a lot of money. But I don't think it's enough, so let me just push this a little bit more, all right? And I told you this back in January. We believe, I think all of us in this room believe in this, 
that God's heart beats especially, for, for many things, but especially for two things. God's heart beats that he wants to make sure that, that disconnected people, the people that have made mistakes in their life, find out that God does not hate them and has moved heaven and earth and even given up his own life so that we can be reconnected back. He wants us to know that he still loves us. That's what his heart beats for. And the other thing is the poor of the world. The poor of the world. If you hear Jesus open his mouth over and over and over, he says, listen, get up out of this, you know, this room and go and let people know that I don't hate them. I actually love them and I want them back. And go and take care of the poor, especially the widows and orphans of this world. Now, if that's true, if that's God's heart, it would just be wrong. It would be wrong for us to spend all, $33 million on ourselves, even if our goals are noble, and ignore the needs of the poor. So on top of $33 million it's going to cost to build this facility, we're going to add on at least another 10% or three and a half more million dollars more, and we're going to give it away for the sole purpose of reaching out to the heart of God, which he calls the poor, both the poor in spirit, the poor spiritually, whatever, and the poor in food and shelter, the underprivileged, the abused, the sick, the forgotten, the homeless, the addicted. And we're going to start right here in Denver and in Boulder County. And then we're going to reach around the world to places like Afghanistan. See, just like Flatters is a church for all the people that a lot of other churches wouldn't want, we're going to go to all the parts of the world that nobody else wants to go. So by faith, we believe that God's telling us to get out of the boat and raise somewhere between 36 and $40 million so we can continue to build relationships in Christ, starting across the street right here in Lafayette and reaching all the way across the world. Now, you know what? <laughs> if you think racing, you know, shift carts down Vandermeer Speedway is scary and kind of makes you pucker. I'm telling you, this blows that away. This is a whole new level of scary. This is a whole new level of living, of faith, which is why we picked this verse out. We looked at last week. Look at this. The book of Habakkuk, which is the name of a prophet. This is God talking. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. In other words, open your eyes and just, just keep your eyes on the world. You're about to be amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe. I'm going to do something. You're just not going to believe it, even if you were told on the front end. And here's what that means. If you're sitting in there tonight, you know, going, you know, and you hear $40 million, and your response is, that's impossible. I mean, it's impossible. I mean, it's a nice idea. I just don't think it can happen in this economy. You're on the right track. You're feeling the right feelings right now because your response is totally biblical. You have the mindset that God wants you to have as you walk into a project like this, a mission like this. See, every time that in the Bible that God told his people to do something that was physically or financially impossible, their response was always, I can't do that. And God's response was always a question, is anything too hard for the Lord? See, he didn't really ask, do you think you can pull this off? He asked this, is anything too hard for me? Do you, do you think I can do it? Some people came up to Jesus one day and, 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 and said, That's, it's impossible. I mean, if, if this guy can't do it, I mean, it's just impossible. And Jesus looked back at those guys saying, are you saying it's impossible? He says this, with man it is impossible. It, it just is, but, look at this, with God, all things are possible. Say that with me. With God, all things are possible. Okay, I got about half the room going, I'm not really sure. Here we, go. Here we go, ready? With God, all things are possible. Now, do you believe that? See, and here's the thing is, that doesn't mean that if you have enough faith and we discover a secret prayer, you know, and God's going to magically rearrange the universe and drop $40 million on us. We're okay with that, Lord, but that's... Even if he's really into this cause and this mission, that's not what it means. It means that God's going to do what only God can do, as we do all that we can do. So again, he's like, well, what's God going to do? <laughs> I don't know. 
Habakkuk said that if he told us, we wouldn't believe him anyway. Right? All right, so if you're not going to answer that question, then what are we supposed to do? By faith, give. Well, who are you talking about? All of us. All of us. It's going to take all of us. I, I used to pray this until kind of recently even, and I still fight this a lot. I used to pray that God would send a few really rich people who would come in here and see the awesome things God's doing, and they would just write huge checks, and we would all move into a cool building that a couple of rich guys paid for. Again, I'm not opposed to that, but <laughs> that's kind of the opposite way that God normally works, isn't it? I mean, usually God uses people like minimum wage Peter, the fisherman, Mary, the ex-prostitute, Zacchaeus, the reformed IRS accountant, just ordinary people like us, people with mortgages and car payments and school loans and retirement accounts that are going up and down. He's just, just normal people to do impossible things. See, here's a, the interesting thing. When, when Jesus was talking about what's impossible with man is only impossible with God, he was referring to a conversation he had just had with a very rich, powerful religious man who kind of thought, God kind of owes me heaven. And then Jesus said, well, give your money to the poor. And he said, no. He said, no. The money that God had given him. And, you know, I, I don't know if he went to heaven or hell. I don't, it's not based on that at all. I do know this. He missed his chance to walk on water that day, to be a part of something just huge. See, statistics say, show that the wealthier you are, and just, let me just kind of, if you've, compared to the rest of the world, you take one step outside of, of, of our country, you're wealthy. But let's just set that aside, okay? Because uh, at least, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of children are going to bed. They haven't eaten in several days. But let's just set that aside. I'm telling you, we're wealthy. Most of us are going to have at least one meal today. Most of us are going to go home, and if our, again, if our houses are hot, we're going to hit a button, and they'll get cooler. If our houses are cold, we're going to hit a button, and they're going to get warmer. So it's, it's, I, I know that nobody has more than enough, but statistics show that the wealthier you are, the lower the percentage of your income you give away. Because it's always tied up or invested or not liquid. Let me tell you, it always will be tied up, invested, and it will never be liquid. There will always be something or someone standing in line saying, I need your money, I need your money. And Jesus never slams wealth. If you're here today and, and, you, and, and you are just doing great financially, that's, that's not a guilt trip. Don't feel the pressure there. Jesus never slammed wealth. He never slammed having a big house or a big bank account or going on great vacations. He just warned, be careful. Be really careful about building your own empire while ignoring the physical and spiritual poverty around you. Because Jesus said this. I would never say, say this because it's really dangerous. Jesus says your money and your checkbook, will, your, your money and your heart will always be in the same place. Jesus said that. I didn't make that up. That's too dangerous to say. The thing you love, I, Jesus says, I can tell what you love. Just let me see your checkbook. Your money and your heart are always in the same place. It's true. This money is not going to be ba paid for by a few rich people writing out big checks. It's going to be paid for by all of us. Rich people, average people, poor people, all doing our part. And our part is getting out of a boat and taking a risk and believing that if Jesus is in this and behind it, all things are possible. Now, i got to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't know what $40 million looks like. I don't have that. Surprise. All right. I mean, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I have no idea what $40 million looks like. Most of my life doesn't deal with $40 million deals. Most of my life deals with $40 deals, right? You know, $40 chunks or, or bricks. Let me ask you, which seems more doable? One $40 million building or project or all of us picking up a brick that costs about $40 and stacking it together? Which seems a little more doable? 
See, the key phrase is all of us. It's, it's simple math, really, okay? See, if one brick represents $40 a month, all right? And I'm just picking that out because the math is easy with $40 million, all right? So let's say I'm going to give $40 a month over three years, okay? And it's a three-year project. Over three years, one person giving $40 a month, that adds up to $1,440, okay? Which is great, but it doesn't come close to $40 million. But there's 7,000 people at Flatirons right now. If 2,000 of us, and, the, and even high school kids or, or, or people with allowances from their parents, they, they might be able to get a piece of this, you know? If 2,000 of us would give $40 a month over three years, you know what that adds up to? Almost $3 million, all right? And if some of us say, you know what? Uh, you know, I, I think I can do better than that. I can, I can give two bricks a month. That's $80 a month. If 2,000 of us would give $80, $80 a month over three years, that adds up to $5.76 million, all right? And if some of us are going, you know what? I'm, I'm doing pretty well right now. I mean, I don't, I'm not rich or anything, but if I, I was going to buy a different car, but I think I can make this car stretch another whatever. I think I can do four bricks in, in a month. That's $160 a month. If two... 2,000 of us would do that. That adds up to $11.5 million. And here's the thing is, if you add all that up, it comes up to just a little over $20 million. We're halfway there, and nobody's given more than $6,000 over three years. They say, oh, that's, that's a little doable. I mean, but really, I mean, 40, my $40, does it really matter? I don't know. Which one counts? Which one? Do you ever play that game where you pull the sticks out and all the marbles, you're waiting for it to go... I don't know which one I'm going to pull out and the whole thing falls apart. I think we need all of them. I think we need 13-year-olds going, you know what, I can can do this and I can do this and I can get an extra paper out. I I think we need college students going, you know, step away from the Starbucks. I can do, you know, and whatever that is. Here's the other thing that we're committed to. If you give a lot of money, you don't get a gold brick. And if you give... Well, a good amount of money, you get a silver brick. And if you're kind of cheap, we'll throw a bronze brick at you. You know, that's, that's not it at all. It's, it's just bricks. All of us just piling our lives up together and our money up together and whatever to build a safe place for people that we really care about to come and, and check it out. I don't know which one's important. I don't know which one's more significant than the other one. I, I just know that, that we need all of them. See, Jesus talks about this. Again, if we go, we're, we're talking about that first talk he ever gave. And Jesus talks about money much more than Flatirons ever talks about money. But, but, but look at what Jesus says about money. He says, be careful. Be careful. And the reason, anytime he says be careful, it means there's going to be a huge tendency to do this. But be careful not to do your acts of righteousness, your good works or whatever, to be seen by men. Don't do it in front of men to be seen by men. If you do, there's no reward from your Father in heaven. See, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. That's what religion had become, to, to, be, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they've already received their reward. That's all they're going to get is, hey, way to go. But when we give to the needy, my people give to the needy, Jesus says. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that your giving may be done in secret. And then your father, who sees what's done in secret, he'll reward you. See, when we give to the needy, he doesn't say if you give to the needy. He says when you give to the needy. He says, I... And needy can be spiritually needy or people who need food and shelter. He says, listen, when you do that, don't, don't go tooting your own horn. Don't walk around going, did you see what I gave? They should name a, a, a wing after me, you know? And no, no, because I'm telling you, that's, that's it. That's all the reward you'll get. Jesus says, when you give towards this or anything, all right, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. In other words, give in such a way that the only person in the universe who knows which brick is yours is God. It's God's. It, it, he's the only one who really knows. And then he, the, this is what Jesus, I didn't say this. Jesus says this, when your father sees what you've done, he'll reward you. You say, well, what's that mean? 
I don't know. I, I don't know. I've heard people say, give God $10, he'll give you 100 I tried. It didn't work. You know? It just, it, I, it's not how, apparently that's not what it means. I'm not really sure. I, I, it, when, it, when it says that he'll reward you, it means he'll do something on your behalf. Maybe it's this. Every week in here we have homework. You know, you're going to take it on homework, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But two weeks from now, the homework assignment is going to look something like this. We're going to hand out a piece of paper to everybody in this room. It's going to have some stuff in it, all right? And you're going to take that home. And as an individual, as a single person, a married person, as a family, as, as a middle school student, I, I don't know, you're going to take that home, and you're going, to, you're going to think about it. You're going to pray about it. You're going to kind of have conversations with everybody this is going to affect. And, and you're going to write on that piece of paper what you have decided between you and God, what, what you believe God is saying over the next three years. I want you to give this much money so that we can continue to build relationships in Christ. So you're going to take that home. This is between you and God. Then the next week, which is the first week in November, and, and I would say that this is going to be, it's going to be it's, it's amazing, but it's, it's going to be, the, I say, the most important weekend so far in the history of Flatirons, and here's why. It's going to reveal our faith. It's going to reveal our faith, not by the songs we sing or you know, how you feel when you walk out of here. We're going to come back in here, and last year we laid out a, a big rug out here, and we piled money on it, and then we, we dug wells and built houses in Afghanistan. You're going to bring those pieces of paper up here, and you're going to lay them down here. But this time you're not going to go home with just a good feeling. You're going to go home with a brick. We're going to ask you to take that brick home. And over the next few weeks and months, I want you to do something with it, more than a souvenir. See, this building is not just a million bricks. It's, it's a million stories. It's a million names. It's a million relationships. So for the next year or so, just want you to start writing names on that brick. Names that you hope, uh, 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 names of the people that you love that you hope one day will bump into Jesus. You know, messy people, disconnected people, searching people. Just write their names on that. And then right before we move into that building, I want you to bring all those bricks back in here. We're going to give them to the construction people. They're going to pave all the sidewalks leading up to Flatirons. And we're going to pray that whoever's written on that brick, our mom, our dad, our kids, our cousin, the guy in the cubicle next to us at work, one day they'll walk across those bricks and bump into Jesus hard. And it works. You know how I know that? Because under this carpet are thousands of names. Some of your names are on this carpet. You didn't even know it. Under this paint, thousands of names. Over at our student center, hundreds and hundreds of, of names. Of, of kids praying for their friends and praying for, for their parents that one day they would, they would, they would show up and, and bump into Jesus. And, well, how are they going to do that? Um, when we get out of the boat and walk across the water and give in secret, and God will see that and he'll reward us. That's what he says anyway. So th- this is going to be a great month. It's going to be awesome. But here's your homework. Get your program out. In the bottom left-hand corner of one of those sides of the paper, um, we're going to do this every week. And next week, there's a homework assignment too. But um, you're going to see a, a list of questions. If you've already like, ripped it up or put your gum in it or forgot to get one, there's more at the back door on your way out. But please take one of these with you. Um, and you can do this, again, by yourself over coffee or you know, cereal in the morning or whatever. But I want you to work your way through this talk. Go through the verses in that program or, or get online and listen to it again or whatever and then work your way through these questions. They're, they're really great questions like, hey, well, how do you feel when you hear about this whole thing? Especially that money part. And here's a great question. Why do churches have such a bad reputation when it comes to talking about money? And does it feel like Flatirons is becoming one of those churches? Because I've got to be honest with you, 
If we become this church that talks about money all the time, could we just close it up now? Because I don't want to work here. Does it feel like we're going down that path? Or If God's going to do what only God can do, what does that mean that I need to do or you need to do? Why do you think people are coming here like Justin? What's this thing, what's the biggest fear you have about this whole bricks thing? And what, what do we have to do to make sure that this building doesn't change us? Because I've been there and I've seen buildings change people and change churches, all right? So what, what's God telling us to do? Now, I'm done. Please work through those, whether you're 10 or 110. Um, what's God telling you? Not what are you telling God? I've got lots of advice for God. It's not real helpful. Um, what's God telling you? I, I heard the words of this song a couple weeks ago and, and I, asked, I asked Brian to sing this. This, this is kind of sums this up. The name of the song is I Will Rise. And it's got some great lines on, on here. I believe God's calling our name. There's no arrogance in that. I think God's working in churches all over the world. All I know is that for some reason, he's calling us to do something more than usual. To get out of a boat. He's calling our name. And like I said last week, um, I, I want to... I want to walk on water. And there's a, there's a great line in this, in this song. It says, I want to rise on eagle's wings. I don't want to just walk on water. I want to fly over the water. He's calling our name, and he's saying, you want to come out here with me? Now, here's the thing is, okay? At any time in this process, you can look back at God and say, no, I don't, I don't want to go there. And you're still going to heaven, and he still loves you, and you're still welcome in this place. I mean, it has not, there's no connection to those two things. But... You won't get a walk on water. And you'll just stay safe on the ground. And you'll make it around the curve. But I want to walk on water. Here's why. I, 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 think, uh, I think this church is awesome. And I think the music's awesome and stuff like that. But I think more than anything, Jesus is just awesome. And there's a great line in the song again. It says, worthy is the lamb. I want everybody you know, Justin lives, uh, is in a small group down in Broomfield, and, and, and I want everybody in Broomfield to know that God doesn't hate them. And there's a bunch of students up at CU and, you know, and, 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 and CSU, whatever, and they're stoned out of their minds tonight because they think that's, that's life. And I want them to know there's a better way to live their life. Once they sober up, I want them to know. I really do. So we're going to sing this song, and then we're going to get out of here. Um, I want to walk on water. This is a great song. Um, if you can stay in your seats during this song, you're a better person than I because it's just awesome. So anytime you want to like jump up and sing along, even though it's like special music or whatever, let's just, let's just worship with this. Okay, let's pray. God, I love you. And uh, I cannot wait. I, I, I've been waiting. I can't wait much longer to see what it is you're going to do that I wouldn't believe now if you told me. I can't wait to look back and go, oh, you really are amazing. And I want to be a part of that. I don't have a lot of money, God. And I got to figure that out, but I want to figure that out with you. I got every excuse in the world, from the economy to bills to credit cards to school loans to just dumb debt. I've got all the excuses of why I can't get involved in this right now. And I'm going to bring those to you, and we're going to work through those together, God. So as I sit at my table every morning and work through these questions, show me what you want to do in my life. That's my question. I love you. You're, you're, you're just amazing. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.